Oh, good morning, everyone. Just want to welcome you to this session, which we've called Reigniting Vision. And uh, my name is John Musgrave, and uh, I serve at the network as what we call the church development director. Uh, I tell people that when you figure out what that means, please come and tell me what that means so I can uh, better understand it. And uh, just uh, appreciate so much. Uh, there's a, you've got a booklet in front of you that might give you some details and so forth. Um, we are recording the session. And uh, so uh, it will be available uh, in the future from the website and so forth. Just want to remind you of that. And um, so uh, over the last few years, uh, I've had the privilege of not only serving as a church development director, but I've also been serving as pastor at Bell Fountain First Assembly. And uh, so uh, in a very real sense of the word, I'm, I'm bivocational, uh, giving full time to the network and giving probably an additional 15 to 20 hours a week to a church trying to pastor and move it forward. So uh, um, what I'm going to present today, reigniting your church's vision or reigniting God's preferred future in your church, uh, really is, is a byproduct of, of several things that have kind of spoken into my life and uh, into my uh, ministry. Uh, and I would also say that uh, if, if there is such a thing, you're, you're going to kind of get the cliff notes uh, of what would be a basic vision retreat weekend. Okay, and so you're going to hear in about 50 minutes what what probably would be presented in a Friday, Saturday retreat weekend. So uh, that's not an excuse. That's just a disclaimer. So uh, I just want you to be aware of that. So uh, uh, probably about a year ago, um, I was doing some study on, on the Hall of Faith. And if I use that phrase, the Hall of Faith, how many of you think of Hebrews chapter 11? Okay, well, I would like to suggest that the Hall of Faith that I was investigating was actually in 1 Chronicles chapter 11. 1 Chronicles chapter 11. And I begin today by just saying that, um, you know, I would like to suggest to you that every one of our churches has in residence some mighty men and women of faith. Now, sometimes as pastors and leaders, we don't see them or we overlook them or we discount them or whatever. But I would like to suggest that whether your church be a church of 20, 30 people or whether it be a church of two or 300 or whatever, I believe that there are some mighty men and women of faith in resident in your church. And I would suggest that when you're trying to reignite vision in your church, you need to start by asking God to help you to see who those mighty men and women of faith are in your church. Uh, because reigniting vision, yes, it initiates with the pastor, the leader, but it's probably going to take some others. Now, First Chronicles chapter 11, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but it mentions individuals who raised a spear against 300 men and killed, killed them in one encounter. It talks about a man who stood his ground in the middle of the field and defended and struck down Philistines and the Lord brought a great victory. It talks about an individual or three individuals that broke through the Philistines lines, drew water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem, carried it back to David. When David received the water, it says that because of his, he just couldn't believe they did this. 
He basically poured it out as a drink offering unto the Lord. It talks about Abishai who raised a spear against 300 men whom he killed. And, and so he became famous like the other three. Benaniah, who struck down two of Moab's best, he struck down an Egyptian. And he also took a, a, you know, an individual and took the spear out of his hand and killed him with his own spear. And then, of course, we know that uh, he also killed uh, a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Now, I say all that. Because we, we think, man, that's awesome, that's great. But do we know where those individuals came from? They weren't always warriors. They weren't always individuals who killed lions and 300 Philistines and stood in the middle of the field all by themselves and so forth. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 22, here's how they were described B.D., before David. Everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented, they gathered themselves unto him, David, and he became captain over them. I think sometimes we look at our church as if, well, how come God sent me all these distressed people? How come God sent me all the people that are in debt? Why did he send me all these people that are discontented? He sent them to David too. And all I'm saying is I believe that somewhere in the midst of that group of people that we see as being debtors or discontented or whatever, I believe God can see some people of vision. Some people of valor, some people that might be leaders. But can we see that? Can we see that? If we can't see that in them, they're never going to see it in themselves. If we can't begin to see in them what God sees in them, how are they ever going to see that? And I would suggest to you that many times we're looking at the church up the road and we think, oh man, they've got all the people. They've got all the gifted people. There's probably some gifted people right there in your group. And I'm just saying, let's look for them. Let's raise them up. Okay, I live in the country now. And uh, just to give you a little bit of description, I live on a road that's about three and a half miles long, and there's, I think, 13 residences on that road. My closest neighbor's a half mile away, and he's my brother-in-law. <laughs> my brother-in-law can do anything. Mechanically, plumbing, electric. He grew up in that rural culture, and basically it was kind of a self-survival type thing, and we ain't going to pay for it unless we have to. So he learned those things. So I have learned to go to my brother-in-law when I have a problem, when I have help and so when I need help and so forth. And I would suggest to you that, um, you know, there's times that I'm trying to do a job with a certain tool. Okay. And my brother-in-law will work in, look, walk into the building behind our home and he'll say, John, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm trying to fix this and I'm trying to do this. He said, John, let me go up the road a minute. And he comes back with this really nice tool that I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And I would suggest to you, I could have fixed it with 
my little dinky unpowered tool. But man, he can really fix it with that really neat powered tool. And I think sometimes in the church, because we've seen some churches that seem to have all the powered tools, we say in ourselves, well, if I can't do it like that, I'm not going to do it at all. Well, God's given you some tools. I would call them mighty men or mighty women of valor. They not, might not be as sharp as the tools across town or across the state, but that's what he's given you. And I believe as we're faithful using the tools he's given us, and we begin to sharpen them and groom them and, and help them to see their really God-given potential, I believe it becomes the first step to reigniting vision in your church. Anyone that's walked into an existing church has walked into a history. Some of that history is good. Some of that history is not so good. But you walked into their story, into their history. And we've got to realize that as we walk into that history, we're given a call. We're given a, 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 a should I say, a God-given call to, to elevate and to move that church into the next chapter of their history. And I believe with all of my heart that God wants your church, God wants our church to be a church that makes a difference in the community. And I would say it begins by just realizing some of those people that look like debtors, that look discontented, that look disgruntled, some of them might be the mighty men of valor, mighty women of valor that God's going to use to take you to the next level of ministry. The, the second thing I'd like to just point out today in, in that idea of reigniting vision is the idea of being able to, to, in a real sense, revive the church's heart. Revive the church's heart. And I would suggest that reviving the church's heart begins with sparking your heart. I've asked this to several pastors over the last several years, and I get different responses. Um, if I sat across the table from you, I might ask you this question, pastor or layperson. I would say, can you see your church healthier, stronger, and better in one, two, five years? So, I don't know. Maybe... Yeah, I can. And then I ask the second question. Are you the person that can lead that? Are you the person that can lead that? Somewhere deep in our hearts, we must believe that God wants to reignite the vision in our church. Somewhere deep in our hearts, we must believe that I can be and will be part of that as we move that church into the future. If you don't believe your church can be a better church in a year or two years or five years, I would suggest you. I had a pastor in Florida. He said, if you can't quack in your own pond, find a different pond. In other words, if you can't brag about your church, if you can't speak well of your church, if you can't say good things about your church, then you need to find a different church. 
And we need to find in ourselves. John says, I am the, Jesus said through John, I am the vine, you are the, he that abideth in me and I in him shall bring forth fruit. I believe that that sense that this can be different, that I'm the person is directly correlated to how connected I am to the vine. How connected I am to the vine. There's every one of us, we've been through it, where one day, man, yeah, this can be better. Oh, man, we're, and then a week later, boy, I don't know. So what do I got to do? I got to get tighter connected to the vine. I've got to get tighter connected to Jesus. But in your heart of hearts, there's got to be that overruling sense that this can be different. It doesn't have to be, I call it a holy discontent. I, I call it that sense of a holy discontent that I'm not satisfied with this. I'm not pleased with how things are going, but I believe it can be better. It can be different. And then the subsequent is, I can be part of that. I can be part of that. And I would suggest to you that having those mighty men, those mighty women, reigniting that sense that that this can be different by connecting with the vine. Uh, And then I would go a step farther and I would say in that same vein, but a little different, sometimes we have to dig new spiritual wells. The story in Genesis 26 tells us that, you know, Isaac was uh, dealing with the, the Philistines and they were plugging up the wells and so forth. And they moved, they dug a new well, and they plugged those wells up and so forth. And we get to the end of that section of scripture and we find that they finally dug a well and nobody bothered and they were able to grow and they were able to prosper there. When I speak of digging new wells, I'm not speaking of dogma. I'm not speaking of our doctrine, our statement of fundamental truths. But at some point in your vision, in your approach, you've got to come to a place where what you did 20 years ago or 30 years ago probably is not going to be the same tool or the same approach that you're going to need to use today. So you're going to have to dig a new well. You're going to to find some fresh water. And sometimes the people that are part of your church that have been there for all of the other wells, they really love that well back there about 15, 20 years ago. And you're saying, man, I don't, I don't, that's not, we're not going to draw from that. We're going to draw from, well, pastor. And we've got to be careful. I'm just saying that uh, uh, my approach, the, the way I look at ministry, uh, I had one person tell me several years ago, the past, the, the church that I was trained to lead no longer exists. Okay, I went to Bible school in the late 70s and early 80s. The church they told me I was going to be leading, that church is no longer in existence. That group of people, that culture, it's no longer in existence. Now, I'm not going to back away from there's one Savior. I'm not going to back away from I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speech. I'm not going to back away from divine healing and so forth and so on. But the way I present that, the way I bring that forth, probably is going to look different today than it looked whatever years ago. And particularly if you're ministering in a church that has, like I said earlier, a history... By history, I mean a church that's been there 50, 60, 70 or more years. There's been a lot of wells dug. And there's been memorials set beside those wells. 
Some of those memorials are in the form of name plaques at your building. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And when you start talking about digging a fresh well and, and begin to move the church in a little different direction than it's been used to, it looks different, it functions differently somewhere, there's going to be people that are going to push back, not because the dogma has changed or the preaching subject, because it looks now different. It no longer has a three-piece suit. It no longer even has a pulpit. It's got something up there called a high top table, you know, and now there's a stool up there. And I don't know what happened to our pastor. He's no longer anointed anymore. And, and you know, you're preaching some of the same stuff you preached in a three piece suit. But why are you doing that? Because, you know, there's a different culture out there. And your heart's broken for that culture that, that if they don't get Jesus. They're going to go to a sinner's hell. And so we, we dig a new well. We, we prayerfully say, God, where do you want us to dig this well? What's this well going to look like? And, and we begin to, to say, what's, what's that going to be? And I would suggest to you that the digging of that well needs to be aligned with, with a couple of things. And um, uh, I just got rid of a car that I left with 389,000 miles on it. And people tell me, man, that's a lot of miles. Well, uh, I bought new tires about a year ago for it, and the tires that I replaced had over 125,000 miles on them. Now, I think the miracle of the tires is more significant than the miracle of the automobile. Now, okay, uh, but and people say, man, that's awesome, you know. But, and my wife will tell you, I'm religious about maintenance. I am religious about maintenance. I mean, that oil change gets done. The transmission fluid gets done. The, the timing belt gets done. The ro- tires get rotated on a consistent basis. I, I'm religious that way. But I would suggest to you, go, we were on the clock about 35 years before I was religious on maintenance. I had a Dodge Dart. How many of you, not the new Dodge Darts, I'm talking the old Dodge Darts. And I, I was youth pastor in Coshocton, Ohio. Now, they did not have paved roads, at least the roads I traveled. So here I am driving out through these country rural roads with this Dodge Dart picking up young people to come to my youth group, you know. And I could name some of those kids even to this day, you know. But <laughs> like this. And it, was just, it, was, it was like a roller coaster every, every Wednesday and every Sunday, you know. And tires lasted about 15,000 miles. And it wasn't because they were bad tires. It was because the tires were not aligned. I would suggest to you that one of the reasons, or one of the things we've got to look at, is is our church aligned? Is our church aligned? If if, if our churches are not aligned, I'm not talking churches, I'm talking your church. Is your church aligned? Okay? You can spend a lot of energy doing a lot of stuff, but if your church is out of alignment, it's just going to it's going to exude a lot of perspiration. But I'm not sure how effective it's going to be. Now, you ask yourself, what are some of those alignments? Well, I would say primarily two things would be your values and your vision. Your values and your vision. What are some of the values of your church? 
And I would suggest to you that I could probably come to most of your churches, meet with your leadership team or your core influencers, and in a couple of hours, I could pick up what their values are. I could pick up the three or four things that are very important to them. I could pick up some things that really are important to the culture of that church. So you you need to prayerfully ask yourself, what are the values of this church? And there's going to be a lot of similarities across the board. But as a rule, if we picked out eight or ten values, there's probably going to be three or four of those things that your church is really going to be passionate about. Okay. Now, if I align my vision contrary to those values, my church is out of alignment. If I try to do things that violate those values... I'm going to expend a lot of energy and I'm not going to get very far. And I'm going to, at the end of the year, go, man, we did all this stuff and we did this and this, but man, nothing's happening. No, we're not growing. We're not. I would suggest you one of the reasons that happens is because we're out of alignment. We're doing a lot of stuff, but it doesn't align with the basic values of the people we're trying to minister to or we're trying to reach. And then from that, the alignment of the vision. Okay. And most of us would probably quote some vision that's very similar again. Your vision might be, hey, we want to have a service. You know, we're going to meet with God. You know, we're going to have the power of God in our services. Uh, We're going to connect people with people, relationships, and, and we want to reach this community. Most of us have similar values like that, okay? But the way you express that in your church and the way I express that in my church is going to look differently. Why? Because of the values. Because of the values. And uh, I I deal with pastoral transitions with our network, and I I help churches as they're going through pastoral changes. And uh, it's not uncommon. doesn't happen a lot, but once in a while I'll get a call from somebody a year or two after they've been assigned their new church. They voted into the new church. And and I'll hear something like this. These people don't want to follow my vision. Really? That's interesting. What's your vision? And man, I, I want the Holy Spirit to come in our services. Man, I want people to have relational connections. Man, I want to reach this town. What? It's hard for me to believe they don't want to follow that vision. And I wouldn't say all the time, but I would say a majority of the time is they've tried to introduce a vision that was counterculture to the values. Or the way they packaged the vision was counterculture to the values. And so the people, they weren't resisting vision. They sensed that you were pushing back on their values. And they were pushing back, not against your vision, but against the way it was packaged, the way it was going to look. Some people, let's just take worship, for example. We don't sing hymns in our church anymore. I don't know what's wrong with this pastor. I would suggest you, a lot of people really don't get hung up on that. We think they do, but but they don't. They really don't. But it does depend a lot on how you package that. What's your value? Is your value hymns? I would suggest that's not a value. That's a method. That's a preference. My value is I want to worship God. And I want to create an atmosphere where as many people as possible can enter into his presence. 
And if I've got a group of people out there that they don't know the words to, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. And they're like, I'm like, I might need to change. They're not, they're not worshiping God. They're not entering into his presence. But if I'm doing a Hillsong or a Bethel or a Chris Tomlin, and they're out there, whoa, man, this is awesome. And so when I'm talking to that elderly person, hey, hey, did you watch last week when that group of young people over there were just going after God with all their heart? Wasn't that cool? Oh, yeah, pastor, I love that. See, we're not talking now preferences. We're talking a value. Yes. And I'm just saying that it takes some time. And I'm going to tell you something very depressing right now. So get ready to go, oh. I pastored at Gerard First Assembly for 27 years. Okay, Gary, you remember my tenure there and had a lot of good fellowship back and forth and so forth. I was number 12 pastor in 48 years before I got there. I did not become the pastor of that church until about seven years into my tenure. I was sitting on the platform one day and looking out at that group of people and after six and a half, seven years of interaction, visits, relationship, and so I really sensed, hey, these people are, they've received me as their pastor. Okay, and could I suggest to you when we're talking about what I'm talking about, whether it be mighty men or whether we're talking about, you know, the, the sense of digging new wells and alignment, one of the challenges we face in our churches is we all have microwaves in our house. And we think we can put our church in that microwave and just change a couple little buttons here. And in like one week, we're going to have a totally different church. I don't know what lie from hell you bought. <laughs> but that's not true. That's not true. So uh, when I think about values and vision, and I would suggest to you that you can change the values, you can change the culture of the church, but it takes longer to change values and culture than it does to change vision. Because values and culture go much deeper than vision. And I would suggest that there was a vision at that church before you got there. It's kind of like the old school. The evangelist comes in and brings revival with him. And then when he leaves, he takes revival out. Some of us as pastors have bought into this idea that we kind of carry in the vision. And when we're gone, man, it's going to be over. There was probably some vision there. And part of our job is to cultivate even that. Find what they're already believing for and trusting God for and so forth. So, and then the other part of alignment, and this brings more into the practical realm, not just values and vision, but I believe we need to align three concentric circles. And I would suggest that one of those concentric circles is the needs of your community. The needs of your community. The second part of that is the Holy Spirit's leading. What is God speaking to you as you look at your community and you see the needs that are there? What is God stirring in your heart as a leadership team? This is something we believe God wants us to do. 
And then the third concentric circle is the gifts and the talents that are in your church. I might see a very desperate need in my community. And I might be, in a sense, drawn to that by the Holy Spirit. But if I do not have a gift or talent or ability resident in the church, I might have to say, we just can't do that right now. We can't do that right now. And I would suggest what happens many times, we go to a seminar, we see what another church is doing in their town, and we say, oh boy, we need to do that in our town. And we don't even know anything about, we're not talking about Holy Spirit leading. There probably is the need, because a lot of needs are similar. And we sure don't have the talents and the abilities. So we spend a lot of energy doing something we saw somebody else doing, but there wasn't any alignment within our church. There wasn't any alignment within our community. And I would suggest to you that uh, there's been many times in my ministry when God was really moving in my heart. Man, I felt passionate about something. And I really saw the need, and it was something that needed to be addressed. But I looked at the flock that God had at that time, and, and, and we just weren't able to do it. Now, again, I could have tried to charge that hill, and I could have tried to get some energy and so forth, but it probably would have led to more frustration than anything else. Or it would have taken a strong investment for me that took me away from some other things that I needed to be doing. And over time, you just learn. And and so then you put that into prayer and say, God, you know, if this is really a need and if this is something you want us to do, then I'm going to do that which you told me to do. I'm going to pray, Lord, that you send laborers that kind of congeal with this. But in the meantime, we're going to be doing some of these other things that we feel you've led us to do. And sometimes that's hard for us. Because we're overwhelmed by the need. We're overwhelmed by a sense of God's Spirit telling us, but we've got to be realistic. I cannot give to this brother something I don't have. If he came up to me right now and said, hey, John, you got $10,000? I might be able to give him 20 bucks. (laughs) Why can't I do that? I don't have $10,000. And do you think God wants a church to be so frustrated Trying to meet a need that they really don't have the ability to need uh, to meet. I, you know, I, you know. Yeah, there's the miraculous. There's faith, and I, I understand that. But you know, Jesus feeding five thousand people. He said, "Hey, you got any bread? Man, it would take like how many days' wages or year, you know, to feed this group? Oh, but there's a little lad here that's got five loaves and two fishes. Bring it over here. I believe that God's able to do those things, and we've all seen it happen." We've also got to back away a little bit because what if the bread doesn't start multiplying? What if the fish just feeds two people instead of 5,000? I would suggest sometimes we've got to be real about this. So when I talk about alignment, I talk about vision and values, but I'm also talking about what is the needs in your... Have you prayed over your Jerusalem? Have you said, God, what are the real critical needs here? And secondly, God, of these needs, which ones are we called to meet? Which ones of these needs can our church best meet? And then once that begins stirring, then say, what do we have the ability to do? What can we do? Um, you know, we, we're, we're at Bell Fountain and a church of about 65, 70 people now. 
Um, that's about double what it was a few years ago, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, but, you know, we have a little debt, about $1.3 million, uh, and uh, we've got a monthly payment of about $8,000. Uh, so we don't have a lot of resources to do ministry, okay? But I've committed myself. That's not going to keep us from doing something. Now, can we do what a larger church might do? No. Can we do what we'd like to do? No. But we're going to do something. We're going to plant some seeds in that community, and we're going to believe God to allow those seeds to grow and bring fruit. And so some of the things we do would seem so minor to some churches, but those opportunities have allowed us to build a relationship with our local elementary school. And so now Pastor John is not, hey, you, you pastored that church down there on 68. No, hi, Pastor John, how are you doing today? And very simple things. We're, we're not spending mega bucks, but just on a monthly basis, we're in that school, we're building relationships, and our purpose being that we, we want to, yeah, be known in that community. But we saw some kids that poverty is a challenge. We've seen kids that, you know, single-parent homes are a challenge. How can we touch that need? I've got several teachers in the church that I pastor. They have a passion for that. They have a a desire for that. So we've tried to put those circles together. And again, are we investing thousands of dollars? No. We're not even investing hundreds of dollars. We're investing donations from people. But we're going to allow that to do what it can. And so put your circles together and see where that might lead us. And, and then I would suggest to you that once you do that, that alignment, then, then you've got to be asking yourself some very simple, but I, I'll say challenging questions. How do I put the big picture into smaller pieces? Now, I have found in my ministry that there's two categories of leaders there's probably many more but for this subject matter too we have some people that are visionaries and we have some people that are managers okay now the visionary he can think about the man we're gonna have this great rally and we're gonna and the management guy says how are we gonna do that can't rent the stadium we don't have no there's no way and the vision guys are just cheering and rah 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 you know the management guys going man do you know how much it's going to cost how many people we're going to need and i would suggest to you that somehow in our churches we've got to be able to put those two pieces together or we're probably not going to reignite vision in our church okay so it's one thing to have a vision But then we've got to ask ourselves, what does that vision look like month to month, quarter to quarter? How are we going to outlay that? Okay? We want to reach our community for Jesus. How many outreaches did you have this year? None. How many touches in the community? None. I would suggest you may have a great vision, but you don't have any missional goals. You don't have any strategy to make that happen. Now, let's say that I want to reach my community for Jesus. Okay? Okay? I'll tell you what. Let's, what, what if we put together some bulk mailers? Our community's got about 16,000. We can't send it to 16,000, but I think we've got a budget. We could send it to about 1,000 homes over the next 
four quarters, and that's going to cost us about $1,200. So let's focus on one segment of our community, and let's just soak them with some mailers, okay? That's a great strategy, okay? So four touches, okay, and, and what else can we do? Well, I tell you what, uh, we always have a, some kind of a thing in the spring. Well, why don't we invite that same segment of people that are going to get our mailers? Why don't we maybe have our youth group go door-to-door in that same area and invite them to our Easter egg hunt or invite them to our fall festival or invite them? And again, what are we doing? We're, we're taking a video. We want to reach the kids. I can't reach 16000 with my budget, but maybe I can reach 1000 this year. And someone said, well, if I can't reach them all, then I don't want to reach any of them. I can't reach the whole town in a year. And we've got a small town. We're the only Assembly of God church in that county. It's part of the reason why I want to see that church do well. Because the closest Assembly of God church to our building right now is probably about 45 minutes away. And I'm not saying the AG has a corner on the market, but I think we can be one of the lifeboats in the water that's pulling people off the Titanic. All I'm saying is, what's vision look like in your setting? Hey, hey, we want to feed the homeless. Okay, well, how many meals have you prepared for the homeless? None. Are you connecting with a homeless shelter in town? No. Do you have a pregnancy? No. Well, we do, but we don't know who the president is. We don't know who runs it. All I'm saying is, it's not enough that we have vision. We, we need to put some kind of a strate- strategy together to say, what would that look like? What do we need to plan on the calendar that matches that vision? That matches that. Uh, say your vision is, we want, we want people to feel the presence of God on our Sunday morning service. Man, we want God to come down in power and glory. Well, uh, are, are you praying about that? Prayer? We don't, we don't have prayer meeting in our church. Well, you understand what I'm saying? You know, I don't know that the glory is going to come down when, when there's no structured prayer or no systematic prayer. So what are we doing in our day-to-day that goes back to our vision? And I would say again, that goes to alignment. That goes to alignment. If this is, my vision is to reach teenagers. Okay, that's my vision. Man, we got a lot of teenagers in our town. They really need Jesus. We're going to focus on that this year. But we don't have a youth group. We don't go to the football games on Friday nights. And God forbid that I'd go to one of those goofy pep rallies. My goodness. Nobody knows me on the campus. You understand how that just doesn't make any sense at all. But I would suggest to you many times because we can't put strategic thoughts into our vision the vision year after year is not reached or met because we didn't do this i would suggest to you god had a vision to save your soul he planned it for thousands of years and if you go back into timeless eternity he planned it before the foundations of the earth were even laid But Galatians says, when the fullness of time had come, an eternal God stepped out of an eternal heaven and put his foot down on this earth and put a strategic methodology behind the vision. 
And it was because of that strategic methodology of taking 33 and a half years out of eternity to show love to us. B.O., bowel movements. I know we don't want to talk about that, but it's the truth. He became flesh. That was the strategic methodology to saving your soul. To making sure that you had a chance to hear about the love of God. And all I'm saying is somewhere this vision has got to get out of the cloud. It's got to get out of our thoughts and just, you know, this would be a great idea. We've got to be able to put some legs to that. We've got to be able to put some missional goals to that. And missional goals might be quarterly. They might be every other month. They might be things like, but then you've got to put a strategic process in place. You've got to ask, what's that going to look like? Okay. Uh, My vision over here is I believe everybody needs a church. I believe everybody should have a home household of faith. I believe that, okay? Uh, right now, we're averaging about six to seven visitors a month at Bell Fountain. Okay, that's good. For our church, that, that's good, okay? Uh, and so, uh, I can believe this over here all I want. Man, we're going to have, we're going to have, everybody's going to have a church, everybody's going to come to family of faith and so forth, but I've got to move that into, okay, what are we going to do about that? Well, our, our missional goals is we want to have a follow-up system to our guests, we want to have a follow-up system that tracks our guests. Okay? So, well, about once every six months, we're, we're going to let them know we appreciate they came. No. Vision is, man, I hope that person comes back to our church. You've prayed that same prayer, trust me. Multiple times. <laughs> And I would just suggest that we need to have some kind of a missional goal. What's my missional goal? I do not expect to keep every guess. Okay, right now we're on track to keep about one in ten. Okay, that's a little better than the national average, which is about one in fifteen. But it still doesn't cover much more than the attrition of the people that are leaving as they're coming in. And most of you pastors know exactly what I'm talking about. So what do we do? And every plan's different, but my then I take that missional goal to, man, we want to have a program in place. We want to have a system in place that, that lets them know we appreciate them and so forth. So every Sunday morning, two or three times, I'm saying something about, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for visiting Bell Fountain First Family. If you haven't stopped by the welcome table yet, please do. Oh, we want you to fill out a guest information card. Then we say it again before. So again, I want to thank you for coming today. Oh, stop by. Why, why am I doing that? Well, because I hate PR. I hate doing that. It just quenches my spirit. But I can't follow up on that guest unless I get some information. I can't write them a nice pretty note or email them a letter or stalk them on Facebook unless I get some information. So I've got to break that goal, that, that missional goal. Hey, I want to have a follow-up. I've got to break straight strategic. So my first strategy for that, I, I want to do anything I can to get that guest information. 
Right now, we're only getting about one and two of the guest information. So for every 10 guests, I only get five addresses or five. E- so I'm already behind the eight ball. Okay. And, and yeah, we have a process in strategic things we do. And I'm just breaking this down. One thing, a vision, missional goal, strategic planning. And we have found in our situation, in this area of vision, missional goals, assimilation, we have a guest luncheon once a month. And I have found that almost 80% of the people that come to our guest luncheon stay in the church. So now it's not my missional goal to get that person back the next Sunday. Although that would be good. It's not my my missional goal that, that they would get back the next three Sundays. My goal, I want to get them to that dinner. Why? Because I found that if I can have a face-to-face, I found that if I can have this conversation, there's a greater chance that they're going to stick with our church. And I'm not saying that's your methodology. I'm trying to give you an idea. What does a vision broken down into a missional goal and a strategic methodology look like? An assimilation process would be one of those ways. Okay, so we, we've got to be able to do that. Now, I will say you to this, uh, reigniting vision is a four-letter word. W-O-R-K. I wish all I had to do was just pray more fervently. I wish all I had to do was just preach a little more and spit a little bit more and grunt a little bit more. And I wish that I really do. But I found for me that whatever this vision is over here, uh, I've got to fan that flame. I've got I've got to keep that blow and I've got to keep that energy going. And that that's not easy sometimes because there's an ebb and flow in our church. And then all that, but when I talk about moving vision to a mission of going, uh, there's some work involved in here. I've got to put some things in place or get other people to put some, and I've got to put legs with all of this. Now, as your church grows, you, one person's going to take care of this and another person's going to take care. You can begin to implement that. But, but we've got to see that if we're really wanting to reignite that vision, it does mean that it's going to cause us to just simply ask ourselves, how do I take a vision, put it into a missional goal or into smaller but a little larger steps, and then what would that look like week to week, Sunday to Sunday, and so forth, in what we would call a strategic plan? I talked to a pastor about two years ago, and I am not, I'm not this guy. But uh, he says, John, he says, I just got done completing my five-year goals. And I just said, well, what's that look like? You know, how do you do that, you know? And I have trouble knowing what I'm going to have for breakfast tomorrow morning sometimes, you know? And he started breaking that down, and I could tell that if he was writing this stuff down, it was volumes. It wasn't just bullet points. He was really thinking through this and so forth. And, And I know that sounds so unspiritual, it sounds so unpentecostal. But I'll go back again. My God is a God of planning. I believe with all of my heart, He could have just said, poof, and everything would have been created. 
He could have done that. But he didn't. On the first day. On the second day. On the third day. On the fourth day. Got a plan. Okay? I don't know. I believe Jericho's walls could have fallen down just by snapping the fingers. No? Hey, Josh. See those walls over there? I want you to march around them. God, just say the word. No, I want you to march around them. First day once. Second day once. Third day once. Get the seventh day, you march around them. Gotta do all that? Just say the word, God. Just do it. But that's not, I'm just saying, our God's a God of plan. Now, if those be true biblical examples, and I believe they are, who are we to think that God's going to reignite vision and begin to blow fresh on to our churches and our ministries and just do So this, this concept of reigniting vision is, is, yes, you know, mighty men. And again, some of the sharpest tools in my shed will be dull in your shed. Okay? I understand that. Some of the sharpest tools in my shed, you would even question if they were saved in your shed. So when I talk mighty men of ours, I've got to quantify that, okay? When I talk about digging fresh wells, you know, you're digging a fresh well, but every time you dig a fresh well, you're, you're putting a competition against a well that was dug 5, 10, 15 years ago. I understand those. Uh, nothing I'm saying is, oh man, that's going to sound so... E-. No, it's not easy. I was talking to our superintendent this week, and i got to be careful because my time is getting fleeted here, but uh, I deal with a lot of our churches that are on the decline. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because many of those communities, if not all of those communities, they need a vibrant, spirit-filled preaching point in that community. And so I want to figure out any way I can to come along and help and blow fresh. But I can't do it by myself, could I say. I've got a boots on the ground and so forth and so on. But uh, I think sometimes we, we forget that we are a spirit-filled organization. And there is a spirit that's going to blow into the house of God, the Holy Spirit. But he still uses instrumentality called human beings. And he wants to take up your life and other people's lives and allow you to be part of what he wants to do in your community. God has always chosen to function through human vessels. There's been many a time I've scratched my head and said, God, are you sure? Chuck's scratching his head right now. <laughs> but to me, that, that's not something that causes me to back away from it. I'm humbled by that. I'm humbled by the fact that I am part of kingdom enterprises in the community that God's called me to be a part of. I'm humbled that the God of the universe would want to give me and us a vision and begin to give us some practicals where we can begin to see kingdom, heaven brought to earth. So I I want to encourage you, but I want to challenge you that reigniting vision is very possible. But reigniting vision will probably be a four-letter word.
W-O-R-K. We got about eight minutes. Any pushback, any questions, anything that you would like me to elaborate more on? I would encourage you to communicate more often than you are. And I have no idea how often you're communicating. Uh, but they, they need to, uh, on a regular basis, be able to hear the, the passions of your heart and the heart of the church. And I would do that sometimes through a sermon series, uh, sometimes through just as you're, you're celebrating something. Uh, man, th- this echoes with one of our, our core values. This echoes. Isn't it great what God's allowing us to do? I think sometimes we miss opportunities to just communicate vision because we're really not looking at it that way. Uh, so I would encourage you, even in the everyday life of your church, to how, how does what God's doing here, this, how do we celebrate this and line it with something that we said we were aligned with and communicate in that way. And then I would encourage you, no matter how small, celebrate the victories. No matter how small, celebrate the victories. One of the things, and again, I'm speaking now of smaller churches, we have difficulty seeing even the victories because there's just so much minutia around us. We need to learn to celebrate even the smallest of victories. Uh, confession's good for the soul. Uh, at Bell Fountain, there had not been someone baptized in the Holy Spirit in probably seven years. And um, that grieved my heart, but at the same time, I thought, man, last year we had one person baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I didn't tell anybody about it. No! Man, I celebrated that. I was so thrilled. I was so grateful for that. Why? Because, well, how come? You, well, I would have celebrated 20. Well, I will too. But I was grateful for one person that at our Pentecost service broke through to the beginning. So in, with our values, we need to, our vision, we need to celebrate even the smallest of victories to let people know, man, we're, we're hitting some targets here. So somebody else had something, a hand back here. Here. John, really good stuff. Thank you. Um, you mentioned in your introduction, this is kind of a summary of a fuller thing you do. Yes. We do, and, and it really is just a reigniting vision retreat, okay. you know, and we work with the local church, their schedule. Um, that could be on your property, i.e. at your building. Uh, it could be at a retreat center. Uh, we would encourage you to invite uh, what we would call leaders or influencers uh, to be a part of that. Uh, and I hope you understand there are some people that are positional leaders and there's some people that don't hold position, but they're still influential people. And we would encourage them to be a part of that. Uh, and it would involve probably a Friday evening, maybe meal, dinner, uh, some sessions Friday evening, breakfast, and then going as long Saturday as the local church would want us to. With the goal at the end of the retreat that we would be able to hone in on two or three visional things that would be a focus for the next 12 months. That, that would be the goal of the retreat. It would be to narrow down all of this and say, man, here's two things that our church needs to focus on the next 12 months, so forth. So thank you, Tom. Any other questions? Yes, right here. Indicators of a new well to dig. You have a history of the church, and you know, every church has a DNA and a sign of What's the indicator that this may be a new well in a new season or a new geographic a new place? 
great question, and I don't know that I'm going to be able to give justice to the answer. Um, I would probably go back to those three concentric circles, um, you know, and I would probably um, lean a little heavier on on the the need of community and the lack of worker in the church or gifting in the church. Because uh, there again, see, I, I, I'm a little old school in this, but if God is really burning something in my heart and there really is a desperate need in that community, I've got to believe there's probably somebody in that building or in, a, in the, that probably has something that I just don't know about yet. And sometimes I've got to, through preaching and through ministry, I've got to begin to stroke that a little bit so that that new well can be, can be really surfaced. Because I think we've all been there where, uh, you know, I go back to Gerard, you know, we went through a period where we lost several keyboard players. And, and I thought, man, who in the world is going to play keyboard now? Only to find out there were like two or three other people sitting in the pew that I didn't even know knew what a keyboard was, you know. And I think sometimes we, 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 we can, by preaching to what God is passionately talking to us about and what we sense in the community. And then the other thing, still three concentric circles, but... Uh, I think, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Bell Fountain, you know, when I, the God began to speak to me about that. You know, John, this is, this is not good, you know. And so I spent quite a bit of time digging that, that well. You know, I began preaching that. Uh, I had an old pastor one time, and I'm now that old pastor. But, uh, you know, he told me, he said, John, you get what you preach. You get what you preach. And uh, I would suggest to you, sometimes digging that fresh well comes from my alignment with Jesus I am the vine, you are the branches, and something birthing here, and then you begin to preach toward that, and that becomes that fresh well. Now, if we're talking methodologies and expressions, then I just think we need to be sensitive, um, and this is the practical side of it. Um, you know, some old models just aren't working anymore. Some old models just aren't working anymore. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for air conditioning. I remember, I remember, I remember, you know, four windows and 55 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm glad that's not the case anymore. And isn't it amazing in the practical world, we would never want to go back to some of that. But in the church, sometimes we hold on to some of that stuff, you know, and uh, sometimes we just got to be honest and say, it's just not working. We still got to be careful on how we unveil it, how we move it forward, um, Going back to Gerard again, uh, we went through a period of time where rangers and missionettes were no longer meeting the needs of our children. And it was a hard decision because we had a really, I would call it successful, uh, you know, a lot of kids, a lot of people involved that were doing, but it would be obvious that it was no longer really meeting the need. And I walked through almost an 18 month journey with that group of leaders as we began to move away from that model, that preference in ministry, our value is still ministering to children, growing kids into the likeness of Christ. Those were our values, but this tool was no longer accomplishing that. Now, I didn't get up one Wednesday and say, we're no longer having Rangers and Missionettes next week. I walked through a process and said, you know, and I basically asking questions, you know, why isn't this working? What can we do different? So sometimes it's, it's an admission that, man, this isn't working what do we have to change? And then bringing that people into the, the conversation that need to be there so you can bury this well, plug this well up, and bring a new well into existence. 
Okay, time's up. I think lunch is ready. God bless. Thank you so much.